We open God's Word today to the book of 1 John, beginning in the first chapter and the fifth verse. 1 John 1, 5 begins, This is the message we heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say Him, we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Let us pray together. Holy Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful gift to come into your house, to have the freedom to be able to come. But most importantly, we stop and remember that we have such great freedom to come before the throne of grace. We thank you for your son Jesus, who makes all things possible. And we pray together, Father, in accordance with your scripture, that you would forgive each one of us for the ways that we have failed you this week, this day. We pray, Father, in accordance with your word, that you would cleanse us completely as far as the east is from the west so that we might live in your peace and in your freedom. I imagine today, Lord, there are many that are struggling. Some have come with struggles of health after a difficult week, and some are struggling mightily with failures that we have such a difficult time letting go. And so today, I pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit and speak to each heart that we would let go of the past so that we might claim the promises that you have given us of our future. Pierce any darkness, for you, O God, are the Lord of light and love. And we will thank you. And we will thank you by living in the peace that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. From my heart to yours, I was so very blessed last week to be able to participate in our worship service together. Last week, I think there was such a sense of celebration, and I think we sensed the Holy Spirit together in our worship. There were many cleansing tears that I observed last week of relief and joy. And I think my heart was especially blessed as I stood here, the cross was here, and I saw so many of you come and seemingly just hungry to touch the cross, to, to feel that reality. And some of you lingered, almost walking away for a second and then coming back again to touch the cross, hesitating to move on. This is amazing grace. We sang it, and more importantly, I think we experienced it last Sunday. But the truth is that Monday comes, as it always does, and it's time to pick up the pieces. For me, it was time to go out in front of the church and remove the flowers from the cross and carry that cross into the storage area where we may not see it again for a year. And while I was doing all those things, I began to think, what does Easter mean to us come Monday? or a week later, or what does Easter mean in the, great, the next great crisis of our life? 
What real and concrete effect does Easter have on each one of us? Or another way of asking the question is, what is so good about the good news of Jesus Christ? Two weeks ago, I received a letter from a man who's going through drug rehab. And as he's going through that process, it's bringing up a lot of hard memories and regrets and guilt. And the feelings of guilt are resulting in such shame that it's very clear that he almost feels overwhelmed. He feels his mistakes are so terrible that he can't be forgiven by God, and he certainly cannot forgive himself. And on top of that, there are important people in his life that don't seem to want him to be free. They don't want him to move forward. They keep continually bringing up his past and his failures. And so this man is stuck, a prisoner of his past, unable to move forward to healing and to wholeness. He said in his letter, he's praying every day. He's working on his relationship with Jesus. But he also clearly stated that he feels unworthy of forgiveness. And so he's trapped. He's imprisoned. And what is most terribly tragic to me is that the door to his self-imposed prison is wide open. This man can be cleansed. He can begin life anew. He can be free and he can be whole in Jesus Christ. But for now, the freedom of Easter isn't making enough difference in his life. Is Easter making a difference in your life? I think for many, although our stories may not be as extreme or as dramatic as the one that I just mentioned, we have some things in common. If you're like me, you may be walking down the road, you may be doing something completely different, and then all of a sudden something pops into your mind, a past failure, and you cringe, and perhaps you hold on to it for too long. We consider ourselves unworthy of the love and the blessing of God, and so we tend to settle for second or third best. The grace of God seems to be too good to be true, and so we don't live fully in freedom. And then perhaps we don't extend the grace to others that we have not yet accepted ourselves. And so our relationships with one another, they suffer, and our relationship with God suffers dramatically. John, the author of the gospel and the author of 1 John, has something to say on this topic to a community of faith long ago. He begins his letter talking about the requirements of a relationship with a heavenly Father who is light and who is love. First, John states the hard reality of sin. In verse 8, he says this, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now we know, we have likely experienced that this day, this week, the reality of falling short of sin in our lives. In verse 10, John restates the reality of sin in even a, a harsher way. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And we tend to gravitate to those verses. Those thoughts of guilt seem to be like magnets drawn to us. We zoomed in on those two verses, but sandwiched neatly between them is a profound truth 
a reality that we must embrace if Easter, if the good news of Jesus Christ is going to have a lasting difference in our lives. And so I ask us together to look at verse 9, to read these in our hearts carefully, to savor each word. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we were to break that down quickly into three parts, the first one is this, God is faithful. In other words, what God says he will do, he must do. Not because I say so, but because the perfect character of God says that if he says it, if he promises it, he will fulfill it. His words are faithful and true. Number two, God will forgive us of our sins. If we confess our sins, if we turn away from them, truly repent, in other words, I have no intention of ever returning to that failure again. The scripture says that he will forgive us. And the word forgive in Greek has the idea of the absolute cancellation of your debts. Not partially, but fully and wholly and completely. It's the dismissal of all charges completely as if they never existed. Number three, God cleanses, or another translation, he purifies us from all unrighteousness. It is the act of perfect, complete cleansing from the pollution of sin so that a new life of holiness may begin. So when we have been cleansed, we can come to the throne of grace without fear, without cringing. The idea is that all barriers have been removed by God for us. Now, 1 John 1.9 is a powerful verse, although it's far from unique. Listen to other verses on this same topic. Psalm 32 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Proverbs 28. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And perhaps my favorite, perhaps yours, Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he moved our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 1 John 1.10 says that if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But in the same way, if we say that our sin is too great to be forgiven, we call God a liar. If we live trapped in our past failures, we're saying the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was insufficient. If we refuse to live fully in the freedom and newness of life, aren't we saying that the blood of Jesus was ineffective to cleanse us? And no one here would dare say that. Then why should we live like it? 
And brothers and sisters, if God has forgiven us and forgotten our sins, who then are we to remember them? Why sit in a prison of the past when the cell door is wide open to a bright and glorious future? How do we get so tangled up? I think it's in part because we don't understand the very purpose of guilt. Over my life, I've experienced, I've heard in others, three kinds of guilt. I would call them, number one, unhealthy guilt. Number two, false guilt. And number three, I think there truly is a thing called healthy guilt. Unhealthy guilt, let me start there. I saw that written in between every line of our friend who is in rehab. I've experienced it dozens of times over the years in counseling sessions. Guilt over what seems to be the greatest failures of people's lives. Not by my judgment, but by their own. Failures of divorce or adultery or abortion. And I often ask the same question. Have you asked forgiveness of your heavenly father for your failure? Oh yes, they reply. Do you have any intention of ever repeating the sin? Often through tears they'll reply, no, never. And finally, do you believe that God is faithful to forgive? And their answer is so sadly, yes, but I just can't get over it. If God forgives and forgets, why do we hold on to it? If our forgiveness has been brought at such a great price, why do we act as if it means so little? Jesus said this, may these words pierce our heart. John 8, 36, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Then why would we not live fully in freedom. Do you, do you think that it's God's plan, who is light and love, that we continue to live imprisoned by our past failures? Or, or doesn't it make more sense to you that the Father of light absolutely rejoices? He, he, he absolutely loves it when we come, when we, we, we live in a right relationship with him, that we live in freedom and in joy. Doesn't that make more sense that he would send his son Jesus so that we would live fully? Doesn't that seem to be more in line with the scriptures and what you have encountered by the power of the Holy Spirit? Number one, unhealthy guilt. Number two, I think there's such a thing as false guilt. False guilt is when we feel shame over things that aren't even sin or aren't even shortcomings. Some of us have an attendant, uh, a tendency to be approval junkies, pastors. There's a lot of pastors that seem to have that, 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 that kind of need for approval. And when we don't get that approval and approval junkies don't get that, we feel guilt even if we haven't really done anything wrong. And some of us, you know, some of us just have a difficulty saying no. We just say yes far too much. We feel guilty when we say no, even if it isn't our giftedness or we don't feel 
led by the Holy Spirit. If I could chase a rabbit just for a minute, by the way, if I, as your pastor, ever ask you to do something in the church, to to fill a ministry position, and, and you sincerely go and pray, and you just don't feel led by the Spirit at that moment, then you just come back and tell me that, and we're okay. Because I'm your pastor, and I desire to be your friend. And that means that I want the very best for you. And the very best for you is always being led by the Spirit. Some of us feel guilt because we have hypercritical people in our life. Maybe we had parents that were that way, and so we just kind of constantly feel guilty. We haven't experienced much grace in our own lives, and so we tend to lean on a legalism or a faith or works-based faith. But a works-based faith will never produce anything but guilt, and forgiveness is a free gift of God. How do you overcome false guilt? I think number one, just by staying in the scriptures and reading the truth and then surround yourself with grace-filled people. Limit access to your life by those that are hypercritical or emotional bullies. They, they, they don't have any place in our lives. My brother in rehab said, my family keeps reminding me of my past. That's tragic. That's heartbreaking. Here is a man these people who love him the, the most supposedly keep bringing up his past. And the sad reality is that there are just some people like that. And those are the ones in my mind, you know, pray for them. Pray that the grace of God would pierce their own heart. Pray that they would experience peace. And if necessary, limit access to our hearts and our lives so that we can walk in the freedom that God intended. And finally, there is a, such a thing as healthy guilt. Now, don't tune me out. Because healthy guilt draws us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the only purpose. Healthy guilt is a beacon toward a better life. Healthy guilt is an agent of redemption. For me, healthy guilt is the Spirit of God tapping on our shoulders, sometimes immediately at the point of failure and just whispering to us, child, turn around. This is not what I planned for you. This is not the best. I love you too much to be silent. Turn around. This will only put a barrier between us. Sometimes, sometimes guilt is a gentle tap and sometimes more. If you're like me, you have experienced Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, the intention of guilt was always to redeem us, to bring us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. When I was in seminary, I was introduced to a man named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence was a, 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 a monk. He lived in 1666. 
And uh, when he decided to go into the Carmelite monastery, he, um, he was assigned the job of pot washer. It wasn't the head pot washer. He wasn't that high up on the scheme of things. He was just pot washer. And even so, when, you know, when he got a promotion years and years later, it was the mender of sandals. That was his, the highest rank he ever achieved. But the one thing that was unique about Brother Lawrence was this. He decided that wherever he was, if it was in the kitchen or mending sandals, that he would practice the presence of God at all times. That he would practice the presence of God. And so because of his faith and because of the transformation that occurred within him, many people were attracted. Many people came to seek his spiritual guidance. One of these people came and wanted to talk to him about obedience and sin and guilt and forgiveness. And when he was asked about these words, these topics, these, this is the way he responded, and these are the words that I have treasured ever since reading them then went on an occasion of practicing some virtue offered, he addressed himself to God saying, Lord, I cannot do this unless thou enablest me. And that then he received strength more than sufficient. That when he had failed in his duty, he only confessed his fault saying to God, I shall never do otherwise if you leave me to myself. Tis you must hinder my failing and mend what is amiss. And listen, that after this, he gave himself no further uneasiness about it. Do you see? Do you see what for me is an absolute model of healthy guilt? It is the the rapid realization that we have failed and the hasty confession and repentance of our sin so that we might be rapidly reunited with the Father who loves us more than we could imagine. There are many things that I'm uncertain of in this world, but I believe with all my heart it was never God's intention for us to live in an extended period of guilt, separated from Him and imprisoning ourselves in our past. You could never convince me of that in a thousand years because this is the God who loves us. This is the God of light. Rather, his will for us is to confess, similar to the the confession of King David when he failed against you, you only have I sinned, O God, and it breaks my heart, Father, that I have hurt the heart of God, so much so that I will not repeat this failure, so loving God, purify me, cleanse me, and I will be clean, and once clean, I will move forward in thankfulness and in peace and in freedom. And I love Lawrence's final words on this subject, that after this, he gave himself no further uneasiness about it. Jesus said, I came to set you free. Jesus said, I came to give you peace, not as the world gives you peace, but freedom from your past, freedom from your sins, so that you might live in wholeness, 
in intimacy with God, in peace and freedom. Unhealthy guilt says, I have done too much. God would not forgive me. I am not worthy. God is punishing me for what I have done, and I deserve this guilt. Do you believe that he is righteous and faithful to forgive? Yes. Unhealthy guilt adds that one ugly word, yes. But... Where does such twisted thinking come from? Perhaps misunderstanding of the scriptures. Or perhaps we haven't experienced enough of the grace of God between one another, and so it's awfully hard to accept it from him. Or perhaps it is the father of lies whispering, throwing his darts at our conscience, accusing you of your past, and questioning your very salvation but we will not believe the father of lies. Rather, we believe, as the revelation says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. We believe the father of light who says that Satan has been defeated at the cross and at the foot of the cross we leave our sins our guilt, and our shame. The stone has been rolled away. The prison door is wide open so that you and I may live in peace. Would you pray with me? (coughs) Good and gracious Father, creator, sustainer, lover of our souls, we come humbly before you. And I ask, Lord, that even this moment that your spirit would come. And those that are struggling with their past and perhaps even questioning their salvation, I pray, Father, that you would affirm in their hearts this moment that they are yours and that you love them fully and completely. It hurts my heart when I don't walk in the full peace that you offer. It hurts my heart when I see brothers and sisters doing the same. So help us to walk fully in your grace and your peace. And help us, Lord, as we have received such grace, pass it on freely to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.